Hi, everybody. I'm Karen Hartglass. You're listening to another episode of It's All About Food. One of the things I love doing on this program is talking about children's books for lots of reasons, and we'll get into that during the program. One reason that works really well for me is that children's books are very short. <laughs> They're fast and easy to read, but they are really important for children. And we're going to talk quite a bit about that in this program. I have with me Anouk Frolic, the author of a new children's book, The Be Kind Alphabet. Not only did she write this book, but she also illustrated the wonderful pictures that go with it. I just got the book. I had read an early draft and I just got the hardcover. I'm very excited to see it. I knew that I was going to be included in the beginning, giving praise for the book as a testimonial. What I didn't know, and I just found out, is that the forward is by me. I'm in the forward of the book. So that was really exciting to see. What I usually do when I'm asked to give a review of a book, I tend to write more. And this has happened twice now with Lantern, where I've written what is supposed to be a short blurb for a testimonial. And I end up writing a bigger paragraph first and then what should be the testimonial. And then they end up including the whole thing as a forward. So this is my second time and I'm very excited to see that happen. And I just read the forward and I thought, oh, I want to read this book. <laughs> okay. So we have with with us today, Anu Krolik, who I just mentioned, is the author of this beautiful new book, The Be Kind Alphabet. And let's find out a little bit about Anouk. Anouk Krolik is a longtime vegan and animal rights activist who has used her artistic talents to be a voice for the animals. She lives in Toronto, Canada with her daughter, husband, and senior rescue cat, a graduate of Okadu, Ontario College of Art. She has been an illustrator for hire and owner of her own company, Anouk's Art, at anouksart.com. I'll include a link to that in this podcast page, where she created eco-educational games and puzzles about endangered species to ensure our beautiful planet is healthy for future generations to thrive in. This is the first children's book Anouk has written and illustrated. So welcome, Anouk. Uh, thank you for having me. I'm I'm so thrilled. This is my very first podcast ever. <laughs> I'm entering this whole new world. Um, yeah, welcome to the podcast world. And I'm honored that I am your first. What do we yeah. call that? You're breaking me in. <laughs> <laughs> you, uh, yeah. I, I'm so thrilled that you uh, also wrote such a lovely forward. I mean, I just reading all the blurbs in my book, I'm thrilled with Lantern and everything they've done for this book for this vision of mine that became a reality. It's uh it's quite wonderful. I'm on I'm on the I'm riding the wave right now. <laughs> Good. Well, I hope it lasts a long time. Me too. <laughs> or maybe there continues to be new waves yeah. that you ride. Yeah, I've already Something got like things that. in my back pocket, so yeah. <laughs> right. Bring on those waves. Yeah. Children's books hmm. are very important. Children's education is very important because it's the foundation that we stand on. Absolutely. And um, many of us, as we age, when we discover that our foundation was not necessarily based on truth, it's 
It's very disturbing. It's very unsettling. And then some of us don't do anything about it. And then a few of us have the courage to actually find out what is the real truth and rebuild our foundation, what we're standing on, and then try and share it with everyone else. But it would be a whole lot easier if we taught our children the truth from the beginning and not only the truth, but empowered them to know that they can make positive change. Absolutely. I, I, I have a nine-year-old daughter where this book actually came into fruition when I realized I was pregnant with her at the ripe young age of 45. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. I'm 54 now. And it was, uh, uh, I met my husband, uh, and he had three children already, and he always envisioned himself with a fourth. So it was sort of like, ha, 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 good luck. I'm 45, but bam, here we go. So, um, and so- Congratulations. Good for you. you. Yeah. Had you already been vegan? I had been vegan, yes. Um, yeah. my, my vegan journey was um, sort of up and down. I mean, I've been a vegetarian my whole life from very young. Uh, I just, the thought of eating animals was bizarre to me. I just was, I've always been an animal lover. Um, milk just never agreed with me. I, I remember like my mom pouring milk and me just sort of pouring, it, especially if we're outside at a picnic, I would just like dump it. <laughs> so um, yeah, um, but I didn't really become a full vegan until 2009 when I visited the farm sanctuary in New York. And I was starting a company called Anuk's Ark, as you mentioned, um, through my work. And uh, I wanted to spend some time with the animals and learning about like the dairy farms and I was like, why am I still having eggs and dairy, even though the dairy doesn't agree with me? And so I switched right like in that journey when I was at the farm sanctuary and going forward and haven't looked back. And well um, done. Good for you. I kind of like the name of your business, Anouk's Ark. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not religious by any stretch, but you know, the idea of the ark and the animals being saving the animals was sort of where I was going with that. Um and at first it was more uh focusing on endangered species that was sort of my bent because I had a a a memory game that had a book that went with it but it was more like an informational book and I did puzzles as well and uh so that I I went into schools and talked to kindergarten to grade two three and talking to them about their their footprint on the planet and you know the recycle reuse reduce and all that but the further that I got into the animals that we eat my uh my Past sort of morphed into more of an animal rights bent all along, all across the board, like the animals in agriculture and and you know the lives that we tell. As I'll bring it back to, as you were mentioning, like raising kids with these, you know, giving them ideas that are sort of sugar coated. Well, I've never done that with my daughter. Um, very <laughs> age appropriate, but I've never lied to her if she asked me where things come from or you know looking at me with her big open honest eyes I can't say oh Santa doesn't exist or if the Easter bunny no like I've I've been that mother mm-hmm. good <laughs> for you to, much to my stepchildren's chagrin because we had to keep the that thing going for them and yet the littlest one in the family <laughs> knew <laughs> we had to tell her please don't tell your sister that Santa Claus doesn't exist oh Not until she's ready <laughs> so yeah and in the same breath my daughter's always known where the animals that we eat come from. And um, it's, uh, yeah, it, it it's harsh in some ways, but at the same point, it empowers her too. 
I, I, I would it, think it would give her a certain degree of confidence knowing that yeah. you trusted to tell her this information that other people her age don't know. Yeah, I, I do feel she feels very empowered. Um, just this past weekend when I was at our big veg fest in Toronto, which is getting bigger and bigger every year, it's, I think it's been going on for 38 years. Um, I was asked to speak at it um, as a veg mom raising a vegan daughter. And then I got to promote my book. Um, but she wanted to be up there on the podium with me. So she sat there beside me and she spoke clearly and from her heart. And I was just so proud of her, just talking about how uh, she was asked the question, have you ever been tempted to eat an animal or animal products at parties or candy that has animal in it? And she just said, absolutely not, because I always envision what it's like to be that animal and, you know, the, the life that that animal would have lived. And I, I pretend it's myself and I would never do that. Uh, the pain that it's caused is just, it's not worth the moment of gratification. She may not have said those big words, but but just her talking about the fact that she could empathize with the life that was being taken and she could never, yeah, she could never. Um... Sounds like sounds like you're raising an excellent young activist. <laughs> yeah, I think sometimes she's actually more of an activist than me. She. She sees injustices and she like goes, mommy, you've got to go say something. And I'm like, okay, I have to pick my, my moments, but she's so outspoken and I love it. I, I just want to encourage it. When you were talking about Anouk's arc, yeah. I was thinking a lot about how art in general can be illustrations. It can be theater. It can be writing. When you don't exactly know what your message is, somehow you go through the work and it tells you what it is you're supposed to be doing. And it sounds like that's what happened to you. Yeah, I, I and I mean, the message or, or the, the horrible things that happen to animals at the hands of humans, it doesn't really come through in my art. My art is more uh, whimsical and kind. And I, I think I'd I could very easily have gone the other way and, and made the image graphic and hard to watch. But what I wanted to do and how I've always done it is for us to have a connection with that animal, how, how they look at the viewer, uh, you know, maybe anthropomorphizing them a little bit, to, um, but, but in the same breath, like giving them some humanity, giving the viewer some sort of attachment to the animal. So that's, that's where I go. It, it frustrates me when people say that we are treating these animals like ourselves and how can we do that and my response is how can we not exactly. how can we assume they are not like us mm -hmm. that's all we know and we're starting to learn that they are more and more like us yeah. as opposed to the great scientists who have said you know they have no souls they have no feelings they have no this and that it it makes no sense yeah well and and we dog or cat excuse me spend a moment with your dog or cat i mean people who have those attachments and yet still can con can consider eating a pig or a cow or a chicken spend any length of time with those farm animals and you will realize they have the same feelings and attachments that your dog and, and cat. they'll talk about how non-human animals will have maybe no memory or live in the moment and don't think about the future. And just like you said, you see these things with the animals that you live with. They know what's going on. They know what happened and they know what's coming. Oh yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. Yeah, no, I mean, gosh, 
again, like spend any bit of time at a farm sanctuary where the animals are happy and able to, you know, live their somehow somewhat natural lives with their families and not being taken away um, and watching them play with a ball, just like you would with your kid or your dog. I mean, you really, farm sanctuary should be visited by everybody <laughs> you know just to have that uh eye-opening because because how how media portrays the food we eat with these happy cows and pastures and oh chickens happily giving you their eggs i mean ugh, it makes my uh -huh. head spin. <laughs> and that yeah. is why we appreciate all farm sanctuaries the farm sanctuary and all other sanctuaries that rescue exploited animals yeah. so that we can see and learn about what their lives were about and how how much happier they are in 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 the sanctuary and the sanctuary is not even an ideal place no, no. because these animals really should have total freedom and yeah. have a space of their own to live in with their friends and families yeah but it's but kind of like the best we can do in this insane world we live in. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> when I was reading this book, The Be Kind Alphabet, I thought back to my own childhood and learning the alphabet. I mentioned in the forewords what some of my influences were. My first book was a Dr. Seuss book that I read. And then later when I was nine years old, my brother was born and I spent a lot of time with my brother in his early years watching TV shows for him and playing his games. And it was, I enjoyed it actually, <laughs> nine, 10, 11, 12, kind of going backwards and playing with the toys he got that I didn't have and, <laughs> and watching some of those shows. And we watched a lot of Sesame Street together. Oh, awesome. Yeah. Which was great and is great, but not perfect. No. And I've said this on this program numerous times. I'm going to say it again. One of the one of the ones I remember was when they were showing a dairy cow mm. and educating us about dairy cows. And they said, a cow makes much too much milk for its young calf to drink. Ugh. And that was letting us know it was okay that the cow was right. sharing her milk with us. The lies we tell yeah <laughs> and yet i remember sesame street having a little clip with buffy saint marie breastfeeding her baby you know it would have, would have been nice to link those two together and say you know this this is normal human behavior you do not need the milk of this cow you are not a baby calf who's going to grow to be x hundreds of pounds <laughs> yeah and i don't want to blame the people that were writing for the show they probably just didn't know they, yeah. when you're raised with a foundation that isn't truthful. Yeah. It's really hard to see outside. Yeah, well, we all are approaching, you know, we're all on our own path. And I, I, in the time that I've had my daughter, nine years, I mean, veganism has become a household name now. Mm -hmm. Plant-based is a household name. It's everywhere. So it is, you know, and thanks to social media and podcasts like yours and, and uh, the books that are coming out and celebrities speaking about it whether it's harming it or not I don't know but um but it is becoming a household name so you can't really stick your head in the sand anymore so the decisions you make I know that in my own experience you know standing on a pulpit and saying you should do this it never works I have three stepchildren who are definitely not vegan 
but uh, and they choose to do the, what they choose to do, knowing what they know. And then there are those people who just say, look, I know, but I don't care. And that's unfortunate. <laughs> That sure is. And we yeah. know plenty of those people. But you know what? I think I think fear is behind that when mm -hmm. they say I know and I don't care. Yeah. Because their foundation yeah. is built on that. And to break that foundation is is very unsettling. For sure. Literally and figuratively. <laughs> Agreed. So here we go. What we need, and here it is, is a children's book about the alphabet. And it's not sugarcoating. You mm -hmm. see adorable animals in here. And most of them I think we're familiar with. There's a few I didn't know about. <laughs> and that's always fun. Some very lovely poetry. And not only do we learn a little bit about each animal, but sometimes we learn that they need our help. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, I didn't know that there was such a creature as a numbat. <laughs> When I was looking You'd... for the letter N, numbat, oh. <laughs> this, this little creature in Australia that's losing its habitat because of loss of habitat due to humans, you know, um, we we take up a lot of space and so does our uh, our need for animal food. And uh, so we we use a lot of land for for raising animals and feeding them. Yeah. So this little little creature, this cute little numbat is also losing its habitat. So how do we help that? You know, we have to make space for all. So yeah, just uh, the book is filled with little things like that. Information about the animals, but also, hey, this is what's happening to them. And maybe you might want to, you know, put a little shout out for them or write your local MP or, um, you know, get involved somehow to help. Wildlife habitat is very important. And not only are humans encroaching on wildlife habitat, mm -hmm. But our farm animals yeah. are also a great problem because there are other animals that may attack the farm animals. We've got wolves and foxes and coyotes and all kinds of animals that are part of this world and deserve to live. And mm -hmm. they get shot and killed yeah. because they're affecting someone's bottom line in terms of raising cattle or raising sheep or raising chickens and every one of those that die and they can't sell for product is bad for them. And so we have laws that encourage their production and don't protect wildlife. Yeah. Same with like the bycatch in the fishing, fishing industry. Uh, gosh, the, the, the masses of turtles and sharks and, and other fish that we don't eat regularly <laughs> get caught in these nets and just tossed. I mean, yeah, the, the byproducts of the animal uh, agricultural industry is staggering just that alone let alone the, the, the sheer number of animals being raised for us to eat yeah exactly okay do you have a favorite letter or is um, there or is there one you could read for us just so we can get a taste for sure I'll, what I'll the book's like the last one the zebu um is uh i can read you that little poem uh, we come in brown, white, gray, and black. Our most notable features, the hump on our back, originating from India, where it's very hot. We tolerate the heat when others do not. But to use, put to use by people in all kinds of ways, we're ridden, used for food, and worked for days. We're calm, friendly, and so very smart. The last thing we want is to be pulling a cart. 
It's with our moms that we would love to stay, but more often than not, we're taken away. Mini zebus are popular exhibits in zoos. Being a pet for us is also bad news. If we could just be left on our own in the wild, then a mother could not be forced to give up her child. We're plant eaters, flower eaters, and lovers of life. If the world followed suit, there would be much less strife. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> it's a I didn't know that. That's, <laughs> that's the zebu, but it applies to so many, yeah. so many animals, animals that we put to work. I've read some things on farming mm. and and how industrial it's become and how some, even though a lot of um, industrial machines and tools and trucks have helped agriculture in general and enable us to grow a lot more food. And I just want to put aside, most of that food is soy and alfalfa, food that's made to feed animals for people monocropping yeah. not good for the planet but some people would prefer to go back and use animals instead of the machines mm. and it's complicated because the machines they take resources they're polluting they have problems but using animals to do our work is also a problem yeah it it's all a big problem <laughs> It's a systemic thing that needs to be uh, cut down at its core. Mm -hmm. I, yeah. It's just, it's just so massive. I don't like, you know, here I'm writing one little children's book. I don't know. I hope it, it does. Oh, please. Uh, you, well, we, I hope it, it creates some little spark in children's it, minds, you know. No, but. it's beautiful. And it absolutely has to. That's the thing about activists. We have to acknowledge that we cannot solve yeah. all problems. We can't. Yeah. And it's overwhelming and it's depressing. But yeah. if we can do one thing yeah. and then maybe another thing. Yeah. But what you've done here is lovely. And it's something, you know, we have to enjoy what we're doing too. And we have to use our skill sets. We can't do Absolutely. everything. Yeah, no, I uh, I agree. I mean, I, I felt like, Oh, I've, I've done pretty good. I've raised, a, I'm raising a vegan child or, uh, and she's quite outspoken. So there, I wash my hands. No, <laughs> I don't have to do more. I've always got to do more. There's always more. So, um, yeah. Yeah. So why did you decide to do an alphabet book? Because I knew I was expecting, uh, a baby and I just needed something to, to work on. I finished my games and puzzles and I had sort of closed up that side of my life because I was now a stepmom to three young kids and expecting one but I still I'm I'm a constant creative output it comes in fits and starts but yeah I just started thinking about how I want to decorate my girl's room and <laughs> did the alphabet uh with all the little drawings and then I thought oh, I want to write things about it too so I can you know read her thing it just sort of it really was something that sort of organically morphed and I had no no idea that I was going to put it into a, a book format. It was really um, friends who sort of urged me on and and a, a good friend of mine, Joanne MacArthur, who also, uh, she's widely known as this incredible photo journalist who goes behind the scenes and and uh, captures photos that are just hard to stomach sometimes. And uh, anyway, she's, she's a good friend of mine and she's had several of her books published through Lantern as well. And she just graciously introduced us and I was like, oh my gosh, this is happening. I'm, this is going to be a book. <laughs> so uh, 
yeah, it just, which is my life. It, things just kind of go like that. I often don't have like a set rule or a, a goal in mind. And as you put one foot in front of the other, as you say, you know, don't get overwhelmed, just see where it takes you. Boom, boom, boom. And yeah. So this I goes. love that. I think that's the way life should be. Yeah. I, I feel like that's, that's how I've lived, lived my life. I, I sort of laugh and say, I'm a, I'm a late bloomer in everything I do. Um, obviously having a kid and getting married very late in life and then now publishing a book. And I mean, I sort of done backwards. I have no regrets. I've had a, a great life and lots of wonderful experiences, but uh, it's not late. It's just in time. It's right. just in well, time for you. Exactly. Right. I'm also part of this, like this age mage stuff, really. I mean, you're as as old as you feel. And what does that even mean? You uh, just embrace where you are at, where you're at. Ex yeah. Exactly. Okay. You have a family. Yes. And I'm wondering, are they all following your dietary path? And how does that work? Well, I have a funny story. I actually told it at the Veg Fest yesterday. Um, so my husband, definitely my husband and his side of the family and his, his ex-wife and, and his three children, they never came from a, a vegetarian or vegan side at all. They, they're, they're very much meat eaters, uh, hunters and, and uh, fishers and all of that. So it's, it's such the opposite of where I've come from. Uh, and my husband, our very first date, I took him for a or our second date, sorry, we walked our dogs together. Um, but we went for a, a vegan Ethiopian meal. And he was like, this is amazing. I could totally live like this. I'm like, great. Well, okay, there's hope. Um, but it took him a few years, but uh, he had declared at one point, yep, I'm going vegan. And um, he's a firefighter. And we were all visiting him unexpectedly at his hall. I came with his three kids and our daughter who was very little. And they were in the middle of cooking dinner for the night at the fire hall. And it was uh, bacon and chicken. Everything was just frying on. The, and I just innocently said, uh, what's Adam eating? He's vegan. <laughs> and the whole hall just went, laughed and said, what? Adam's vegan? No. And he was looking at me like shocked. <laughs> and uh, so I guess he was vegan at home, but hadn't quite, you know, I mean, as again, we all have our process. And it was... Uh, it was our little daughter who actually got him to finally stop eating eggs by just asking him straight out, Dada, why are you eating eggs? And he just didn't have the answer. He said, I, don't, I really don't know. So so he, my daughter and myself are vegan, but my three stepchildren are not. Yet they're they're respectful and um, they, they do them and we do us. And that's just how it is. And um, family gatherings are interesting, though I have to say I'm very fortunate too that my, my in-laws always provide vegan meals and my mom and, uh, has always provided vegan meals. So yeah, I feel very fortunate in terms of that and with the family. And in, as far as my stepchildren, who knows? Who knows? Oh, you're definitely having an influence and planting seeds. Yeah, it, it, there used to be sort of a, a tough family dynamic when my daughter was younger and we would be sitting at the table and she'd be looking at her steps sibling or her her siblings and say why are you eating meat why are you eating the animals and you know there was that I was like oh gosh I mean I commended her for speaking out because she's speaking from her heart but at the same point it 
sort of pointed a finger at these kids who we love and are part of our family mm -hmm. and we can't force them to do what doesn't seem natural to them so it's uh yeah I get that but you know out of the mouths of babes yeah you know <laughs> what one child innocently asks and another child innocently starts to think about it and then turns to the adult why yeah. are we doing this yeah it's, it's it's a tough dynamic it's also being the stepmom I didn't want to like play too much of the heavy <laughs> so right leave that sort of stuff up to the dad but I am who I am and I live by example and really just provide good food at the end of the day right good tasting food exactly it's great <laughs> yeah I absolutely agree with that okay you said your husband's a firefighter is he still a yeah. firefighter yes he is yeah okay well we thank him because the fires in Canada have been yeah. a disaster and maybe we can talk a little bit about that but I wanted to mention was you're familiar with Rip Esselstyn and the engine two diet I am not no please please tell okay. me okay well yeah. that is for your husband to bring to his department because Rip Esselstyn is the son of Dr. Caldwell Esselstyn okay Dr. Caldwell Esselstyn wrote prevent and reverse heart disease and he was one of the early vegan doctors who started promoting this diet, this whole food plant diet, uh, low sugar, salt, and oil, whole foods uh, to prevent and reverse heart disease. And he was a cardiologist. He's retired now. And he had some incredible data showing that some of these patients who their doctors had just said, you know, go and live your life. There's no hope for you. You're not going to be around much longer. And then they went to Caldwell Esselstyn and he reversed their disease and they lived like another 20 plus years. This isn't the forks over knives. Doctor. Yeah. Forks over knives. So oh, he okay. worked. So I, know, I know that I'm sorry. I'm horrible with names, but yes. Okay. Dr. T. Colin Campbell yeah. and, and uh, Dr. Caldwell Esselstyn. Yeah. And so Caldwell Esselstyn's son, Rip Esselstyn was a firefighter. I think he was in Texas. Okay. And he ended up bringing this diet to his entire unit. Mm. and they all went vegan mm. and it was a beautiful story yeah. about how they all got healthy wow so you might want to look at rip esselson's yeah. book well that you that documentary that came out game changers i think it oh sure called. yeah uh i know that my husband watched that with his buddies at the fire hall and they were all impacted but not enough <laughs> but it was definitely he said it, it was interesting watching their reactions while while watching that documentary but right. again I, you know some people might get it like that and others it takes lots of little things who who knows what that moment will be when you have your aha moment and go why why am I still doing this it doesn't you probably sense. don't want to do this but what would help yeah. is yeah. if you were always there at the fire department making food for everybody that would be if I loved cooking but cooking for me is such a stressful <laughs> thing I only go by I have to and I have to create these dishes and make sure my daughter has a well-balanced diet but uh, otherwise I'm like whatever I can throw in a wrap is good for me but <laughs> but yeah no cooking never came naturally to me unfortunately so yeah wasn't I'd that a part of the game changers where there was somebody cooking for a whole team uh yeah I you know remember. Honest, I didn't watch the whole movie but uh, uh yeah okay I've there's, seen there's so many different ones that I can't see uh I mean not that that would have bothered me but um like how spirity was one that I definitely could stomach but earthlings was really hard to watch uh, mm -hmm. there's just some that in the same way that I can't 
seem to bring myself to do these vigils where you watch the animals go to slaughter. Um, I mean, I'm a mess when I'm driving down the freeway and I see a, one of these slaughter trucks go by. I can't, I just literally lose it and I have to pull over. So I understand the, the, the importance of that kind of work um, and bringing awareness and it does turn a lot of people's uh, heads uh, to change how they view that whole um, the agri agricultural industry. But yeah, there's just certain things I can't, I mean, just because I already naturally don't do that sort of stuff and I am leading as kindly as I can. And I feel like I don't need to see more. <laughs> I know. I totally get it. I yeah. totally get it. I When I start thinking about what actually goes on, I can't think too deeply about it because I can start to hear things i can yeah. hear the animals i can hear their torture and i just can't get let it all in yeah yeah i mean i've been taking my daughter to animal rights marches since she was you know when i was carrying her in a little pouch and uh definitely one of the things that we did do here in toronto at these animal rights marches is we have a like a I don't know what it's called, but everyone lies down and then they, they blast speakers with the sound of the slaughterhouse mm -hmm. animals. And it's just, it's so jarring. Powerful. Very powerful. Yeah. So I get can, it. Can we go back to firefighting? Yes. <laughs> only, well, only because Canada has had so many fires this year mm -hmm. and you're in Canada, your husband's a firefighter, but we also know that the climate crisis that we are in today, one of the top reasons that's causing it is what we eat. So yeah. it's all connected. Yeah. But I'm just curious how it's gone for you and for your husband during this interesting fire season. Well, it's not really, I mean, aside from smelling the smoke here, it hasn't really impacted us because we're in Toronto. So Eastern, Eastern part of Canada, um, and I don't really personally know any firefighters who had to go out west to deal with the fires, but you know, it's definitely, I mean, as as much as these fires come at this time of year, it, it is the the sheer amount and 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 the frequency now that is happening that is so alarming. I mean, we do have dry seasons, we have things that spark, but but now it's just happening on a mass scale. So it's it's very disturbing. Um, but I don't really, I, I don't know how to bring my side of it, my my firefighting husband's side. Like he, he doesn't have any personal stories to to tell of it, mm. to be honest, aside from that it is, you know, it is scary. Well, as someone from the United States who lives in New York, I've lived all over the place, but I'm back in New York where I was born. I always perceived Canada as that safe place. You know, if anything crazy happened in the United States and crazy things are definitely happening, we always thought we could always go to Canada. And Canada was always this place of pristine water and beautiful forests and so vast and wonderful air and all of that. And and when the when the smoke came to New York this year, it was just like, oh, wait a minute. We're all on the same planet. We're all yeah. in the same mess. That that illustrates too, yes, the 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 very real reality that we share this ceiling, this like whatever's happening on the other side of the world will eventually make it to our side of the world when it comes to the bad gases and the airs, and mm -hmm. you know, no one's immune to it. We all are under this same atmosphere, so yeah, that that part is 
super I scary to know that the skies were gray and you could smell the smoke and yet it was thousands of miles away. I forget where it was, but some remote island where they did some tests and found some toxin like dioxin or DDT or something in, or maybe it was um, PFACs like the Teflon byproducts that mm -hmm. are so bad for us that they found in mother's breast milk or placentas or something. And mm -hmm. I, I should be more specific about what I'm talking about, but the point <laughs> is we live in a toxic world and the toxins are everywhere and reach places where they shouldn't be. Yeah. But it's a small planet. Exactly. And and like just the microplastics that are in our oceans that we don't even really see. Well, and we were there's that too. In Tulum, Mexico, and uh the sargasso that was washing up on shore. Like, whoa, that looks, you know, a little bit much. And the the the, the lifeguards that were there on the beach said, Yeah, this is all pollution. And what we're seeing, we're, we're, we're scraping it off the beach every day, but it just keeps coming. Here you are in this beautiful paradise. And yet this is all the garbage. Yeah. The garbage. Yeah. The, the ocean is the world's toilet. Yeah. Oh God. <laughs> yeah. Drink filtered okay. water as much as you can. <laughs> are you thinking about another book after the be kind alphabet takes yeah. the world by I storm? <laughs> I do. I never thought of myself as like, you know, being an a, a author, illustrator. Well, illustrator, yes. But now I have a few things under my um, milling about. I have, I found an old book where I'd written ideas that I sort of want to bring to life. But I'm also, I'm not sure if I can say anything at this point, but sure. uh, in collaboration with uh, someone at a sanctuary who wants to do a children's book where I do the illustrations and she's doing the writing. I'm pretty excited about where that might go. Uh also sort of uh, detailing the life of one particular animal through his eyes. So we'll see. Yeah. Um, I'm open to anything. I, I That's the thing. I just, uh, I love the challenges and uh, to have a new project brewing is always exciting. Yeah. Did you have oh, any favorite? Oh, sorry. My child wants to write a bunch of books with me too. <laughs> we, we've got a oh. few titles. <laughs> so, oh, I love that. That's yeah. a great idea. Yeah. And what about when you were a child? Were did you have some favorite children's books that had an, an impact on yeah. you? Oh my gosh. Well, right away, The Giving Tree. That that book, even today, I couldn't even read it to my child without crying. Uh, Shel Silverstein's The Giving Tree. Do you know oh, it? Sure. Well, uh, I've I mean, heard of it, but I haven't tree read it. who just loves this boy and this boy who loves this tree. And as the boy grows older, his need for the tree becomes less. And the tree gives everything till she's a stump. <laughs> and I'm like in tears reading this to my kid. Um, and still at the end of the day, she loves the boy as the, this old man just sits on this stump and she's, mm. you know, given her entire self to this human. Uh, that was really impactful on it. It's a book that I give to a lot of my friends just as a, you know, here as an adult, you can have this book. It's not just for children. And I grew up with um, Maurice Sendak and I love, I loved his stuff where the wild things are and all that. I loved his illustrations. I think I'm a little influenced by him, I would say, maybe subconsciously um and yeah dr seuss those those <laughs> fun little rhymey books have been great um, my daughter had the alphabet book too the dr seuss alphabet book and she knows it off by heart so also dr seuss the lorax <laughs> yeah another one who saves the trees speaks for the trees yeah right. that's mm -hmm. a staple yeah there were some books that had some 
nice underlying messages to them. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm grateful I never had, I don't remember any of these like sort of farm animal books, like happy animals on farms. Oh. Here you go. Like I, I never grew up with that. No. I did. <laughs> well, as much as I, I, you know, my mom was very supportive of my vegetarianism. The veganism has always been a little bit more for her to, to stomach. I think she, she's getting better, but she would sort of under her breath go, you're part of a cult. <laughs> I think it sort of scares her because uh, she's primarily vegetarian. My father passed away in February and he was always willing to try everything, but he ate whatever my mom cooked. So Mm-hmm. Um, I think maybe if it was up to him, he could have, he could have been an easy convert. Um, but, and, and also saddens me, I'm sort of going on a tangent, but he was such a, he was like my biggest fan when, when it came to this book too, he really wanted to see it become a real mm. reality, even to the point where he wanted to self-publish it. He's an artist, he was an artist as well and a printmaker. So he was like, we'll print the book ourselves. <laughs> um, <laughs> So when it came out, I had a good cry thinking of him that he would have been very proud. Absolutely. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, well, that makes this book even more special, right? Uh, Yeah. Yeah. Mm. I'm very excited about where this might go. I'm just happy it's out there in the universe and I hope it, uh, I hope it reaches some, some children for sure. Excuse me, there are some other children's books that I've really enjoyed reading, but kind of as you mentioned before, they're a little more forthcoming with mm. the reality, even there though they're trying to do a softer sell. So this is really for everyone. There's no there's no suggestion of uh the horrific cruelty that's going on. It's just we need we need to be nice to all life on earth. Yeah, uh, I don't know. I, the, another one that comes at one of my poems is about the chipmunk, and I would say that that's uh, that's not really preachy or anything. It's it's basically saying chipmunks are great and they're very cute, and uh, but don't be letting them come to your picnic and eat all the food that you have because it's not good for them. But they're a delight to watch and let them just scamper around. But you know, just respect that. Basically, what I'm saying is like, don't feed the wildlife. You know. They, they, they know how to take care of themselves. So that sort of thing, you know, on a lighter yeah. note. Yes. I would hope that some of these might lead to some questions where the child says, why shouldn't I do that? Or what would happen? And hopefully yeah, questions the, are great. Yeah. The, the adult person who is reading it with them will have some good responses. Well, <laughs> maybe, yeah, you, yeah. maybe you need a follow-up FAQ sort yeah. of section sure. for this book. Well, I... I I have some friends who are definitely not vegan or plant-based and they were very excited to buy this book for their kids. And I said, Oh, I'm curious why. And they said, well, because I do care about our planet. Uh, even mm. though you may not see it in my diet, but you know, I'm raising children. I want them to be aware. I'm like, okay, well, that's a step, <laughs> you know, I mean, right. if you're willing to buy this book and read it to your children, maybe it'll help change your mind too. I don't know, but thank you for being open. Yeah, exactly. Anything else you want to say about this book and then i'm going to ask you some other questions buy the book <laughs> read it buy, exactly buy it. okay Put it in the schools. make it part of the, the, the school curriculum <laughs> so i'm just curious you said you're you're not really into cooking so what do you feed your daughter and yourself and your family and how is that working and what are your favorites 
Well, I'd say um, from the very beginning, like my, my daughter's very first food, aside from my breast milk, which was great for the first two years, especially traveling, um, she took to avocados. She, her very first bite of avocado, she couldn't get enough. She kept grabbing the spoon from me and shoving it in her face. Uh, and she's continued with that to this day. She'll, she just loves guacamole and anything avocado, avocado toast. Um, very early on, I found this website, Veggie on a Penny, I think it's called, veggieonapenny.com. And they had a very easy, uh, cheesy recipes that is just loaded with nutrients. And that's been a staple because it's made from potatoes and carrots. I do everything organic. Um, nutritional yeast, I sort of upped my uh, amount of nutritional yeast that they ask for in the recipe and uh, garlic and some other spices blend it all together, like cook the cook the potatoes and carrots, blend it all together and you've got yourself a nice big cheesy sauce for a week in the fridge. And I would put it on her broccoli, on her noodles. Uh, she would Yum. eat it with, you know, tortilla chips, whatever. And that's also um, a favorite amongst my non-vegan friends too. They all love it. Um, so that's sort of a staple. My daughter is absolutely obsessed with um, avocado and sweet potato sushi. So we do that. Um, we have taco night sometimes twice a week because that's just or anything Mexican because the beans and rice you got your full protein there it's just a little thing I want to clarify sure all plant foods contain complete protein ah. all plant Thank foods contain <laughs> all plant foods contain all the essential nine amino acids that we need to create proteins in our body and it's good mm -hmm. to combine beans and rice even though each of them have all of the nine essential amino acids, beans have more of some and a little of the other and grains have more of some and a little of the other. And when they come together, you get a lot of all of them, which is a good thing, but we do not need to eat all of the nine essential amino acids that we need in the right proportions in one meal. Wonderful. And okay. I just like to clarify that. Yeah, no, that's, I feel like that's probably uh, something that I heard years ago when I was vegetarian and people who are scared that you don't get enough protein um, would say to me. So I just, I'm, look at me spewing what I, you know, comment. Absolutely. The, yeah. the history, this is the history. So Frances Moore LePay in the seventies wrote diet for a small planet. Mm -hmm. And she wrote in there that we needed to complement our foods to get complete protein. And she said, look all around the world. And this is what people do. They have mm -hmm. certain kinds of legumes and certain kinds of grains. And together they come together and give us complete protein. 10 years later in her 10th year anniversary edition, she recanted that. She realized mm -hmm. she had not been right. Huh. Yeah. But everyone remembers what she said in the first book, which is profound because the message of her first book was is what everyone should have remembered, but it wasn't. The message of her first book was like, what are we doing? We need a food system that is sustainable, that is compassionate, and it's yeah. not. But what yeah. people remembered was complete protein. And, <laughs> and, and it wasn't even true. So the message here is all plant foods contain complete protein. We do not have to combine in one meal to get all the essential amino acids we need in one sitting. Our body's smart. It has food stores and does all of the work without us thinking. But it is great to eat these foods together because they're delicious and we like combining all different kinds of colorful foods. That's well, the I, end of my 
little complete protein. Again, like anything, it's it, variety, eat the rainbow, have as much, you know, grab from your plants, grab from your fruits and vegetables, but your legumes, your, your grains. I, I try and get that in my daughter at almost every meal. Like, so she has that variety. Uh, and, and yeah, there's, I mean, if you add up in a day, the, the grams of protein in everything you eat, you're more or less, you're, you're reading, you're reaching your quotient. I hate that, um, that idea that people have in your head, oh God, where do you get your protein? I'm like, oh, do I need to here? Look at this list. There's protein in mm -hmm. almost everything. And you start adding that up. And I, but I this is that false foundation that we were talking about at the beginning. And maybe your next children's book could be on <laughs> yeah. macronutrients, you know, okay. telling us the truth. Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I don't have much of a filter. So <laughs> yeah, I'll just try, I'll just try and make it fun, make it exactly you know, digestible. <laughs> digestible. There you go. Yeah. yeah. And Toronto has some great restaurants. Are there any that are your favorites? Uh, yeah, I, well, I'm an absolute, um, I, I can eat my weight in Ethiopian food. And there's actually a new, there, where I live in Toronto, in the Eastern part of it, uh, mm. Danforth, there's a whole whack of Ethiopian restaurants. So I'm really lucky. And there's one that just opened up near us called La Vegan. So it's completely vegan. Um, so I would say that one, um, there's Planta, but it's a little in, out of my price range. Uh, there's Animal Liberation Kitchen. I love, um, wow. run by family owned and uh their food is so delicious um, that's a very intense name animal yeah, liberation -K, kitchen okay no they're they're great oh my gosh um and then kensington market which is a sort of a hippie popular spot to visit when you're coming to toronto as a tourist has a ton of vegan places too as well it's, it's just it's growing i'd say i'm in the east end toronto it's not as great as the West where there's like vegan Dale and all sorts of amazing restaurants right. and a lot of fast food, vegan stuff, because I think people are trying to reach the popular gen pop and get you into the hamburgers and the fries and the, all the greasy stuff. But I mean, there's so much amazing, just generally well prepared plant foods. It doesn't have to be all hamburgers and and fries and hot dogs but you bring up a good point that i haven't really talked about much on this program and i'm just thinking out loud here i live in new york city we have so many fabulous vegan restaurants mm -hmm. but i say but maybe i should say and but there are so many that are these fast food junk food vegan places mm -hmm. i'm great i'm grateful that they're there and that they're vegan it's so much better to have them than to have wendy's and mcdonald's and burger king agreed but this food isn't good for us. Yeah. And why do we have to continue? Uh, this is just something that I don't understand. And, and I wonder if the demand is making the market or the market is making the demand. And I don't have the answer because you have people in business saying, well, people have to have hamburgers and fries and that's what they want. Mm. I don't know. If you make it delicious, won't they come? That's what I think. It just reminded me of another restaurant that is uh, in Toronto called Itel Vital. Uh, mm. It's a Rasta restaurant. Right. Love that food. A couple of them. And yeah, the food is incredible. It's just, it is literally, they have a base of rice and beans or quinoa or uh, pasta. And then you can pick whatever you want. Like there's a, a, um, a chickpea curry. They make an incredible seitan. 
um, barbecue seitan. Uh, yeah, it's just my daughter will devour that too. I just love watching her eat that because I know she's getting everything and, and it's not all this fake meat or, you know, it's it's just whole, whole food. Okay, Anouk. Yes. I want, you won't hear this, but I want everybody who's listening now and in the future and whenever to give you a big hand, a big rousing <laughs> applause. Put your hands together. I am right now silently because I don't want to make a lot of noise here. But <laughs> thank you. You have now completed your first podcast. Yay. Talking about, talking about your first children's book, The Be mm -hmm. Kind Alphabet, that you've written and illustrated. Wow. <laughs> thank you. Yeah, it thank really, you. It was a pleasure to be on here and to meet you. Thank you. Thank you. It was a pleasure to meet you and to be a part of your book. Yay. Yes, you are. <laughs> okay. So go forth, be well, keep doing what you're doing. And thank you for joining me today on It's All About Food. My pleasure. Thank you. Take care. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. The Be Kind Alphabet, written and illustrated by Anouk Frolic. This is another wonderful book published by Lantern. Lantern Publishing and Media. And it joins a growing collection they have of children's books, including Gabriel, Cluck, and Pickle. I have read all three of those other books and contributed my blurbs for each of them. And just very excited that there are more children's books available that are delightful stories, beautifully illustrated, and tell the truth and empower children to know that they can make a difference and make this world a better place. Thank you, Lantern Publishing and Media, for all that you do and for all the wonderful books that you put in print. Thank you for tuning in today. I'm Karen Hartglass, the host of It's All About Food since 2009 on the Progressive Radio Network. Visit responsibleeatingandliving.com, the nonprofit I co-founded, where you can find all of my podcast archived since 2009, as well as lots of wonderful vegan recipes. If you have any comments and questions, you can send me an email at info at realmeals.org. As always, have a very delicious week. Mm -hmm.